Second Timothy 3, verse 8, now as Janes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in things which you have heard, or which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And know and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Well, beloved, as we come to these final verses of chapter 3, we've well and truly crossed the halfway point in our consideration of Second Timothy. We reached the halfway point, obviously, in chapter-wise, uh, with the start of chapter 3. And uh, what we've covered so far may be summarized under three chapter headings. Uh, chapter 1, the charge to guard the gospel and then into chapter 2 the charge to suffer for the gospel and in this uh, third chapter the charge to continue in the gospel continue continue faithful continue faithful because perilous times will come marked by evil men and impostors who deny, although having a form of godliness, yet they deny the power of godliness. But then encouragingly, as we saw from verse 9, they will not get very far. Because as in the case of these two characters, Janes and Jambres, as he takes a, a backward glance by way of illustration uh, to these uh, magicians in the times of Moses, back in the book of Exodus, uh, as in the case of those uh, two men, eventually their folly will be manifest to all. And so listen, dear friends, all the things that have come against uh, the church of Jesus Christ over the years uh, eventually come to nothing. Uh, all those things pass into history. And they may resurface again, as we know, under a different name, under a different guise, uh, dressed in what appears to be different clothes. But it's, uh, it's the same. There is nothing new under the sun. It's the same old, same old, and it eventually passes away. And they progress no further. So let's not 
you know, run around feeling fearfully, fearfully oppressed or, uh, uh, you know, terrified by what's going on around us. Uh, that's what Paul is basically saying to, to Timothy. You know, Timothy, don't get your head in a spin. You know, everything that's taking place around you, don't be uh, getting in a flap over it. Uh, make sure, make sure, Timothy, that you stay on track. Make sure that you don't get overly concerned about those issues to the extent that they become all-consuming. Don't scramble to the defense of the faith so much as declare the faith. You know, live it out. Because their folly will eventually be manifest to all. Now, coming to verse 10, let us understand that we can expect to experience what uh, Paul alerted the Ephesian elders to when he left them on the beach of Miletus. And we know from the reading of the Acts of the Apostles that they were weeping at the awareness of the fact that Paul had said to them, you will see my face no more. And he tells those Ephesian elders, for, for know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. In other words, uh, my concern about this is not simply about something on the fringes. That's what he's saying to Timothy. My concern about these things is not simply about something that's on the fringes, but you may find it in the very hearts of the fellowship there at Ephesus, rising from the influence of those whose morality is as bad as their theology, and yet who remain largely influential within in the church. And you can see it within denominations that we've highlighted before over the number of months, particularly with uh, the Anglican Communion. You know, people who have influence within that communion, people whose morality is as bad as their theology, and they're people who are largely influential uh, within that communion. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you, you watch, you be on your guard. And so should Timothy become a, a debater? Should he cease from the proclamation of this glorious gospel? Should he simply become an, an analyst, analyst of error and seek to uh, detect it and uh, dissect it uh, and uh, warn people about the error of his day? No, says Paul, verse 10. And here's another one of these, but you... Uh, comments that Paul makes in these uh, pastoral epistles, but you, or however, phrases that Paul uses, but you, Timothy, but you, in contrast to all of this that is creeping in, but you, in contrast to John S. and John Briggs, 
But to you, in contrast of all of this that you know about, you're, you're aware of this stuff. And in the light of the things that you do know, I want to urge you to keep on going. To continue in the faith. Continue steadfast, unmovable. As he says to the Corinthians, isn't it? Don't concentrate on the newest deviations. Rather, continue in the basic truths that you have been taught. Not surely striking that Paul says to him, but you have carefully followed my doctrine. You see, the guiding and strengthening principles of Timothy's life were not to be found in the discoveries of new information or of new ideas, but largely in just being able you know, to live out the basics, just to do the basics, all the things that he had been taught. Timothy, do those things well. And beloved, isn't it, isn't it a lesson for, for our age? So many believers, so many churches scurrying around looking for the latest notions, grabbing the newest gimmicks, jumping on the latest bandwagon in a forlorn hope that they have found the means to usefulness. It's merely an extension of our generation's approach to so much, isn't it? You know, we know that people have made themselves very rich, cashing in on this notion. I'm thinking particularly of the, you know, the secular realm and the advertising world. You know, uh, something comes up in an instant and people cash in on it and they, they make themselves a lot of money. It's a, an, an easy way to, to get rich quick. And the same thing, you know, sometimes people in the church try that. You know, if it works in the world, let's see if it works in the church. We know that uh, through advertising, there are mechanisms that uh, we're told, and you can, you can get this, uh, you can try this, and it will transform your life. Follow this diet, for example, and uh, you'll shed pounds uh, in days. Uh, and it costs you an arm and a leg, and the only thing that transforms is your bank balance. But the, that's the, the approach, isn't it, in the world? And sometimes people from the church look at it and think, well, maybe we should try the same. Across the Christian community, people run around looking for the furious mechanisms uh, to try that will enable them uh, to know what it is to live in the fullness of God's spirit and in the power of God's word and in obedience to God's truth. Now we know that it's not uh, the question uh, that's, that's the problem. They're asking the right questions. Who doesn't want to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Who doesn't want to see the church grow? They're asking the right questions. They just go about it uh, in the wrong way. And they look at the wrong places for the answer. And okay, you're, you're sitting before me and you say, well, what's the answer? Well, there's nothing new. Uh, it just goes back to your Sunday school days, doesn't it? Those of you who were brought up going to Sunday school, what you were taught about the very basics of the faith. You just keep it basic. Uh, or what uh, you've been taught, um, 
If you've never been to Sunday school, you've been coming to church and you're being taught from the Word of God. You know, it's it's nothing. It's nothing uh, that's that's particularly difficult. What what is it? You know, it, it's read your Bible, pray every day. You know, if you want to grow, read your Bible, pray every day. It was not a, a children's chorus you know, from years ago. Read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. I'm going to pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you will grow, grow, grow. And friends, that's simply, that's the key. Read your Bible, pray every day, you will grow. And you say, well, Billy, that's a very simplistic approach to things. Not some... But it's certainly simple. You know, no army, as we know, can march on an empty stomach. Nobody can go very far without a good map, especially in unknown terrain. Uh, And the Bible is our food. Food for our souls. It's spiritual manna from heaven. And this Bible is our map. And Timothy says, Paul, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my teaching. You have followed my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, patience, love, perseverance. That's some list, isn't it? Some testimony. And you could read that and think, goodness me, is Paul boasting? Didn't Paul say to the Galatians that he would never boast Save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. What on earth is he, is he doing here? Is he boasting what's going on? Well, beloved, I would say just remember uh, this missionary is a, a veteran soldier of the cross. And we need to cut him a bit of slack. He's in jail facing execution. Uh, Paul is not trying to impress anyone. He is simply stating the facts. Timothy, you were around. Timothy, you traveled with me. Timothy, you know what happened because you were there. And isn't it interesting that at the very head of the list, he says, you carefully followed my doctrine. You followed my teaching. Doctrine at the very top of the list. Why? Because Paul's life could not be separated from his instruction. Couldn't be separated from his teaching, his doctrine, as we were thinking this morning. You know, belief will reveal itself in behavior. And Timothy was absolutely aware of this. He also knew that Paul... Uh, practice what he taught. And that's why Paul is able to say, you followed my doctrine, my manner of life. What Paul was in private uh, corresponded with what he was in public. What he was in public tallied with what he was in private. Timothy had been with him, had slept close to him on those ceilings across the Mediterranean had seen him in the silence of the night, had seen him in those unguarded moments, first first thing in the morning, 
when uh, the majority of us are not at our best. And Timothy had watched Paul's life. Uh, therefore, if anybody, if anybody could say, oh, come on, Paul, you know, catch yourself on. Bit of exaggeration there, Paul. Do you not remember what you were like on such and such a, an occasion? That's not true. You know, Paul, uh, you, weren't as, uh, you weren't as clear in that occasion. Timothy could have, uh, <coughs> could have pounced on it and said, you know, I, re- I remember the era, I was just a little boy, but I remember the era of the mods and rockers. And my sister, older sister, being a bit of a mod, you know, a bit of a flower girl, and uh, my brother being more of a, of a rocker. And uh, did it bypass you, John? I see coming from East London, you would have been a rocker, wouldn't you? No, you were saved by then, praise God, delivered from it all. But some of you remember Brighton, it wasn't in 64, the, the mods and the rockers fighting. And um, I remember telling Larissa one time about my sister being <coughs> something of a mod. And when Larissa was home last month, She said to my sister, Dad told me he used to be a mod. And uh, my sister says, Wait till I get him. I was never a mod. I was a rocker. I suppose when you get to 73, he is my sister. Being a rocker maybe seems more appealing, but I remember. (laughs) I was there. I remember mum and dad keeping my sister and brother apart as like the mods in Brighton and the rockers were at each other's throats. So sister, you're not going to rewrite history here. (laughs) Um, I remember. Uh, So, you know, Timothy, you know, he could say, yes, it's exactly as you said was Paul. Timothy read this letter. He must have said to himself, That's exactly right. I do remember your doctrine. I do remember your way of life. And he he is willing to respond to the exhortation of Paul. That Paul gave him in his first letter, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. You know, you take heed, Timothy, to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. But Timothy, verses 10 and 12. Timothy, you know, you followed my doctrine, life, purpose, faith, long-suffering persecutions, afflictions which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra. Oh, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord deliver me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, if you have time later and you go back and read Acts uh, chapter 13 and chapter 14, you will find the historical record of this reference to Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. Um, When you read about uh, that first missionary journey, you realize that Paul was a classic illustration of the uh, psalmist in Psalm 34, 
Verse 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. You see, his first 12 indicates persecution is inevitable for those who are determined to live godly in Christ Jesus. You want to live godly in Christ Jesus, then uh, expect persecution. Expect it that not just from the world. You get it from the flesh, don't you? You know, flesh persecutes you. Satan persecutes. You know, how, how, do you, how do you begin the day? Do you begin the, do you begin the day saying, Lord, help me, help me not to sin during this day? Or do you lie in prayer, get up and pray, Lord, help, help me not to sin very much? You know, Wednesday morning at 6.15, Pilate comes on welcoming us on board this uh, Boeing 320. He said, why 513 to Belfast City? And we'll be pushing off from Stand 51, taking a westerly approach over the Irish Sea, you know, across the, the Mersey over the Irish Sea, down Belfast Lock and into Belfast City. And he didn't he didn't say, and I'll try not to crash. You know, I'll try, I'll try my best. <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't have had been wouldn't have been too reassuring. Yeah, but that's the way some of us approach our lives. You know, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus, well you don't begin the day by saying, Help me not to sin too much. You know, help me not to hit the buffers too much. Uh, we begin by, by saying, Lord, help me this day not to sin. And I'll end the day having failed. <laughs> didn't, even, didn't even come close to 100%. Um, don't even think I managed uh, manage 40. But at least it didn't stop me from beginning the day with, Lord, Help me not to sin. It will not stop me by God's grace as a new day dawns and we're spurred with uh, that good challenge. Lord, help me. Help me not to sin. You know, the word godly there in verse 12 could equally be translated piety or piously. All who desire to live pious in Christ Jesus, pious life. You know, when was the when was the last time you heard the word piety used with any kind of positive connotation? Yes, He's so pious. You know, it's sneered upon, isn't it? Doer, sour, that pious person. Those people who are apparently, you know. Of such heavenly mindedness that they are of no earthly use. How many of you have met people that are of such heavenly mindedness that they're of no earthly use? Well, if you did, they they certainly weren't God's children. I I would doubt that you have met any from the household of faith who would have been so heavenly minded that they were no earthly use. But I've no doubt 
You've met many who are the reverse. I meet one every every morning as I begin the day and I look in the bathroom mirror. One who is of such earthly mindedness that all he he has the potential of being no heavenly use at all. Well, that's why we need to pray for one another. Uphold one another. I know you, you read this and you think, well, why is it that we live with such lack of persecution? It is in part because we're really indistinct. You know, we are, as Tozer said, quote, the best disguised set of pilgrims that the world has ever seen. You know, the church since the 60s has bent over backwards to placate the world, to, to mimic the world. And the appeal has always been, look, you know, we're, we're just like you. And the world says, I will know. Why would we ever listen to you? Why would you ever listen to anything that you have to say? You're just the same as ourselves. There's no different. You know, friends, when is the church at its most distinctive? When it's most distinctive. When by its belief and by its behavior, it contrasts the world in which it lives. It's markedly different. These evil men, he says, these imposters, They will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Very sarcastic remark, statement by Paul here. He says they're actually uh, progressing in their momentum, but they're going in the wrong direction. The only advance that they make is backwards. The whole operation is set in reverse. And they're killed. See this? They are killed by their own swords. What's their sword? Delusion. Delusion is their weapon, and by delusion they will be slain. Now again, we have the phrase, but you, but you, Timothy, but you must, contrasting the wisdom of Timothy with the foolishness of the creeps that have crept in, uh, Paul here is calling upon his young (coughs) protege. Come on now, Timothy. On you continue in what you have learned. What you have become convinced of. You keep it, Timothy. You guard it. In verse 15, from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, he reaches into Timothy's background and he pulls it all up in front of him as it were and he sets him before it and he says, Timothy, think about this. Think about the things that you've been convinced of since you've been sitting on your mother and your grandmother's knee. Think about what you have learned. Think about the strength that it gives you to recall your teachers, your godly mother, your godly grandmother. The people around you, you know, who were so instrumental in forming your biblical character. You know, the people around you, Timothy, they're interested in these newfangled ideas, these newfangled notions that they're trying to peddle within the church. 
Um, they're not prepared for the, you know, the old-fashioned truths. Because we bring an unchanging word to bear imaginatively on a very changing world. But the basis of Timothy's continuance is first of all that he would be strengthened by the reminder of those who taught him. And then that he would be equipped by the very scripture you know, that they proclaimed. We can do this, can't we? You know, uh, those who have nurtured us in the faith, whether it's parents or loved ones or teachers or lecturers or friends, we, we bring them to our mind's eye, don't we? And their continuance is a means of our encouragement. Oh, it was from childhood that he had known these things about salvation. You've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible, it's a book about Jesus, isn't it? From Genesis to Revelation. It's therefore a book about salvation. The whole Bible is God's revelation to us and how we are in worthy. It tells us, doesn't it? We are sinners. And those of us who are worthy, we might become children of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his grace. What's the little overview of the Bible that Alec Mateer uses in his little book, Look to the Rock, an Old Testament background to our understanding of Christ. He says, in the Old Testament, Jesus is predicted. In the Gospels, Jesus is revealed. In the Acts of the Apostles, Jesus is preached. In the Epistles, Jesus is explained. And in Revelation, Jesus is anticipated. It's all about Jesus. You've known the the Bible from childhood. You've known about Jesus, the Messiah from childhood. It has brought you to salvation in him. And we know where it came from. Its source is God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all God breathed. It's not that the scripture was in existence and God breathed into it, but rather that scripture was brought into existence by the breath of God. We know where it's from. It's from God. We know what it's for. Verse 17 So that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And how on earth will that happen? Well, as Timothy, as a faithful pastor, teaches, reproves, corrects, instructs in righteousness. What a wonderful reminder to each of us of the sufficiency of the Bible. Our men and women to be nurtured in our day. How are we to ensure that they will be kitted out for the challenges that lie ahead, well, as a result of the word of God being brought to bear upon their lives? We know, sadly, that some folks are all at sea, and they are rudderless. They are ill-equipped for the voyage, and it's simply because they're never taught the word of God. It's certainly our responsibility to equip folks, uh, you know, for life in this world and for the world to come, obviously. Uh, It's important that we have this life-transforming 
uh, grasp of the Bible. It's the word of God that makes men and women people of God. And despite the fact that uh, there is much that militates against us in these days in which we live, it is surely here, friends, that we must take a stand on the authority of the uh, word of God. You know, scripture alone. And it was a couple of years ago, spoke on the sufficiency of scripture in anticipation of speaking at the West Langs Fellowship. And um, I was just going to finish this chapter tonight, and then looking at it last week, thought, no, we need to stick a bit more, just hang around this uh, 16th and 17th verse a little bit more to look at the sufficiency of scripture. Knowing that John, God willing, next year will be doing the uh, solace. And, of course, among that, that will be sola scriptura. But I think it'll be about this time next year as we talk it through that John will be hitting uh, scripture alone. So there'll be at least a year gap between what you'll be getting over the next couple of weeks and John tackling it. So uh, that's just to give you an idea of what's happening. But Jim Packer, in Knowing God, he said, If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. According to Harry Ironside, Bunyan said, sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Franz Havner, sparkling gems from the most quoted preacher in America. I don't know if he is the most quoted preacher in America, but that's a claim of the book. Franz Havner says, the Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't? Oh, friends, let us be people of the book. Name to be people of the book. People who are Christ-centered, in other words. Now, um, Jim Packer, in Knowing God, has a statement. Throw this out for you for Wednesday evening, okay? Something for you to think about. And then I'll maybe ask you what you think about it on Wednesday. In Knowing God, um, Packer says, listen to this. God's happiness, God's happiness, God's happiness will not be complete till all his beloved ones are saved to sin no more. Okay, I'll repeat that for you, thinking over, and you can tell me, God's happiness will not be complete till all his beloved ones are saved to sin no more. 